And Father God, we do, we do eagerly await that day when we will get to finally see you face to face and see the victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, in all of his power and all his glory. And Father, we know that because of his promise through the Holy Spirit that he is still here with us. But we may not see him. We know that his power and his mighty strength is here. And Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, Lord, I pray that there would be no distractions, that there would be no snatching of your word of truth from our hearts and from our minds by any part of the kingdom of darkness. Father, I pray that we would, we would go forth today changed, Lord, that our hearts would be so, so um, blessed because of the fact that we have Christ as our champion. We pray in his name, and God's people said, amen. Well, this past summer, um, my family and I had the privilege of going down to the maritime provinces and visiting New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia. I hadn't seen some of my uh, family and friends for 32 years. And um, one of the places we went to was the Halifax Citadel. Anybody ever been to the the Citadel in Halifax? Okay. Here's a picture of um, we went to visit. And uh, you can see this, the, this Scottish soldier, soldier in his uniform. And um, then we started, uh, you know, seeing the regiments, the military museum. And, and then, you know, we played with some cannons. And that was kind of fun. At least the kids had fun. And, um, you know, it was a great time. Did you know that the Citadel there has never been attacked? It was so well fortified in its day that no one dared to attack it. So it sits there on top of a hill overlooking the Halifax Harbor. And during the summer, they're, they're, this is what really just blew me away. There's actually sunbathers on the hill outside the walls of the citadel. And I'm thinking, usually you would think that the peace and the prosperity would be inside the walls. But it's on the outside of the walls. It just shows our nation Despite the fact that we've had great sacrifice, despite the fact that I believe we've lost about six or seven soldiers even this year in fighting, that for the most part we live at peace, don't we? We think all the fighting is overseas. And many of us in this room, especially maybe younger, we think of Remembrance Day as just history. It's just something that's in the past. That all the, the battles have really been, really been fought. Yes, there's some skirmishes, but reality is it doesn't have much to do with our daily lives. Well, if, if you are here today and you think that all the battles are in the past, that they're done, done with. If you're thinking that the combat mission are finished like what has happened this past summer in Afghanistan, we finished our, apparently our combat mission. If you think it's all history, we're sorely mistaken. I want to tell you today that we are in a battle. If I could take you up on an airplane and let you to be able to survey the carnage that's actually going on in this world, you would be shocked. You would be dismayed. 
You might think it's over there. It's overseas. But it's not. It's happening in our own city, in our own homes. And I know, and I'm praying, that you will stand up. You will stand up and do something about it. Please visualize the carnage. Now, for some of you, this won't, this won't um, be very difficult. Because it's not just in your imagination. It's something that you've had to deal with this week. The carnage is really broken lives. It's marriages that are falling apart. It's children enamored with what the world has to offer. It's walking away from your faith. It's abortions. It's people in despair cutting themselves. It's suicide. It's addictions to porn, to alcohol, to drugs. It's the devastation that's going on in relationships. All of this wreckage is a battle that we can't see with human eyes. And just like the aftermath of some of the great wars in the past century, we might not even be aware of it. I was, as I was studying and thinking about Remembrance Day, I was just looking at um, World War II photos, and I came across um, some of the photos of the concentration camps in Germany. And apparently, and I didn't realize this, that the Allied forces um, actually required the, some of the German citizens to go through those concentration camps. Because apparently, in some of those cities near those concentration camps, they didn't even realize what was going on, if you can believe it. And so they showed the before and after photos, and, and you'd see some women who were smiling, and they didn't know what they were going to get themselves into, and then they came out, and their, their faces were just ashen. They were just devastated. They were horrified at what they had seen. They didn't realize the evil that was right in their midst, if you can believe it. As a pastor, I see lives torn up by an enemy that, has, that we've been lulled into thinking doesn't exist or is kept overseas. I want to tell you today that the enemy is here. He is far worse than Al-Qaeda or the Taliban. This enemy is the kingdom of darkness, and its leader is Satan. We are in a cosmic battle my friends. But some of you think, you know what, John, just relax, okay? You know, um, let's not get too, too amped up about this. What battle, you might be saying, what enemy are we really facing? See, some of you today think that the devil and the kingdom of darkness and the spirit world is really just a myth. You think it doesn't really exist. Others of you maybe become overly fascinated with this stuff. You just, you just you get all into it and say, okay, maybe, maybe the devil's over here and the devil's over there. And a third, a third group of you maybe are just so scared. You're like, I don't want to talk about this. I do believe it exists, but I don't want anything to do with this. I want to help all of us. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into thinking about the demonic forces One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So which are you? If you are here at church and you're not sure that Jesus exists, let alone these evil spirits, may I suggest to you that you ask God to reveal himself to you? 
sincerely ask Jesus to show you himself in undeniably, in an undeniably powerful way. And if you're totally interested in the spirit world, could I also suggest to you that you focus on Jesus as well? As we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, that Jesus cast out demons to show the kingdom of God had come to him um, and to that region that he was ministering to. Therefore, we must acknowledge that Jesus came to get rid of the evil forces about. And he even gave authority in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, to his, his disciples when they came across demonized people. But here's the really important thing. Jesus never gave us a specific model to follow in casting out of demons. Except for this, calling us to fast and to pray. Exorcisms are not supposed to be the focus of our ministry. Jesus is. Jesus is the focus of our ministry. You need to know Jesus and not the devil. When my father used to work in the bank, um, and uh, he was just first starting out uh, doing some of the telling, teller work, uh, they took him into the large vault, and they showed him you know, all this money. And he got to, to, to handle all the money. And then he said, we want to teach you how to deal with counterfeit bills. You know how they taught him how to figure out what the counterfeit bills were? They showed him the real bills. They showed him what was true. So that when he touched a counterfeit bill, he could immediately say, that's false. It's wrong. There's something wrong with this. He could easily spot. And so our focus has to be on Christ and on Christ alone. Do you know what's real? Do you know Jesus? Oh, I so desperately hope that you do. You're welcome here. One more question before we are trained on how to engage in, in this spiritual battle. Some of you are going to ask, didn't Jesus come to earth to die on a cross and to raise three days later so that he could, as the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, to destroy the devil's work? So isn't, aren't we just talking about that this, this battle has already been won? Yes, the victory has already been won. Jesus did win the ultimate war against Satan on that cross. But there's still many battles to fight, as there were between D-Day on June 6, 1944, and VE Day on May 8, 1945. When, when on D-Day, we, we stormed those beaches and, and there was great victory. But it was almost a year later when finally the, uh, the surrender of the German forces occurred. I like how Pastor, Canadian Pastor Urban Lutzer describes Satan's role in the world today. He says, Satan is like a dethroned king who keeps on giving orders to his subjects. He is like a thief who has stolen virtually everything he owns and who tries to persuade you that it, always, it, it was always his. He is like a warrior without authority who keeps recruiting mercenaries to fight a battle he has already lost. Therefore, Satan's main role is to deceive and to discourage us and to get us to fight with one another. He is still powerful, but he's not invincible. This is why the Apostle Paul gave us specific instructions how to fight him. This is really important. I want you to pay attention today. There could be much distractions. 
and explains a lot of the evil in the world, the things that you watch on TV and then re- the things you read about. And it explains what goes on sometimes in here and also out there. As my father taught me one time, the devil is the most fam- faithful church attender. He goes to every Sunday school class. He goes to every committee meeting. He even goes to some of our board meetings, even though these guys, they just, we're unified, right? It's, been, it's great. Ten years of, of being unified. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And uh, if you don't know where Ephesians is, just... Um, Check out at the front of the table of contents and look for Ephesians, then go to chapter 6 and starting in verse 10. Maybe if you, if you see somebody who doesn't have a Bible, share with them. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Do you hear the word stand? You see it in verse 11. You see it twice in verse 13 and once in 14. Pretty important word there. Stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. There's great power in those words and those verses. We are not helpless victims caught in the middle of the clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. No, we've been called by the King to be active participants in this battle. We have been given instructions on how to engage this enemy and have been given specific battle gear to wear in this battle. Are you ready to put it on? First, you need to know a little bit of background. It's always important to know the background of what we've read. And the background is that Paul was writing this in 61 AD from Rome, from Rome to the Ephesian Christians. Now, why is that so significant? Because of this. If, if Paul's writing for Rome, that means he's in prison. And who's he imprisoned by? The Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero wasn't a great fan of Christians. In fact, he took Christians and he put them on post and lit them on fire to light up Rome. Understanding that truth, look at verse 12. Now, Paul would probably say, you know what? The real evil in this world is Nero. But notice what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Wow. 
we need to remember who the real enemy is. That boss, that teacher, that difficult person, maybe even the person next to you or in the pew next to you, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Our enemy is against the rulers and authorities and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Jesus commanded us to love our human enemies, to pray for them, to bless them. To know that that difficult person in your life is not the ultimate enemy is so freeing, isn't it? Just think about that for a second. They're not the enemy. They're just a pawn being used by Satan. They're still responsible for their actions. God will hold them accountable, but they're not our ultimate enemy. They're just overwhelmed by the evil one. Doesn't this just cause us to to extend so much grace and compassion towards people? It's helped me so much to think in that way. It's, it's, this truth really acts as a ballast in our hearts, letting out a lot of the unforgiveness and bitterness that is built up in there towards people who have hurt you. Don't you think that's how Jesus was on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do? Oh, brothers and sisters, we cannot join with the devil in being an accuser of the brethren. Be an accuser of other fellow believers. See, Satan's up there every day, day and night, accusing us of evil and sin. Let's not join in with him in that, in that role. We need to also remember, brothers and sisters, that our battle is a wrestling and ongoing struggle. If you think about it way back in the Gospels, even... Even when Jesus was on earth, the demons just didn't roll over and play dead. And like, okay. They fought him. They were, they, they, they were rebellious to their very core. I don't fully understand that as the, as the sovereign king of the universe, Jesus Christ, all-powerful, and yet these, these demonic forces will still try to take on Jesus. But they did. And they fought against him. So if they fought against our king, argued with him, we should be expecting a battle. Let's go back to verse 10, understanding this truth. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Wow. It's almost like a double double measure of power there. Be strong in the Lord. The Lord himself is powerful and then in his mighty power. That, that should immediately cause us to think this question. Am I drawing on the power of Almighty God? Or am I trying to fight life's battles on my own? God's strength is available to stand up to evil. To stand up to those difficulties in your life. But here's the kicker. Verse 11, it requires us that we put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil is always scheming. But we can, we can stand firm, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged. We must stand up. And the victory is assured. 
We learn the devil's schemes by being strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. However, this is very important. If you don't stand up and put on this full armor of God, then you'll stay defeated in your life. How sad. I said this at the first service, and I'll try it for you too. It's the illustration that comes to mind is it would be like the Toronto Maple Leafs having all that they needed, all the resources that they needed, all the money that they needed to, to put forth a champion. And they don't utilize it. Now, I know that you can't imagine that. Seriously, many of you are living defeated and discouraged lives because you're not utilizing the resources God has given you. Power over sin, power over Satan. Ephesians 1, 3 describes that you have been given. Look, look at there. Look, look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, this camp out in this passage, is just, it, will, it, will just, it will bless your socks off if I could put it that way. Ephesians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. All the ones up in heaven, all the ones that he wants to give you on earth. Are you using them? Are you utilizing them? Now, you need to know that every spiritual blessing in Christ is going to be contested. Back in chapter 6, verse 12, the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spirituals of evil are going to be also in the heavenly realms. They're going to try to contest these things. Now, I immediately, when I read this about authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces, I, I'm like, wow, there seems to be these, these ranking ranks that's going on in the spiritual world. And I don't know how the org chart works in the demonic world, but there seems to be an org chart. It's just that God doesn't give us much, um, much specifics about it. So let's not spend much time trying to think out about it, okay? Let's not try to figure it all out. If God wanted to let us know about it, he would. We just need to know that Satan's on top and there's ranked rulers in the spirit world. They seem to actually at times go into the counsel of God. Do you remember in Job chapter 1 where, where Satan comes and he actually goes in and talks to God? And we know, I already read Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 where it talks about being the accuser of the brethren day and night. So there's this cosmic battle going on up there. And these dark, dark nights of the round table. I don't know, you know. But they're against you and they're against me. And God is stronger. God is stronger. So what are we required to do? We're supposed to put on the full armor of God. You're like, huh, what does that mean? Well, you can see the picture up there. Um, Paul goes on to explain the six pieces of, arm, of the armor of God. Really, five pieces, and I'm going to call it two weapons. And if you put these defenses on and pick up your weapon... Notice when, not if, the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand against the kingdom of darkness. I want you to be prepared, everyone here, for the fact that there's going to be a day where you are going to need to put the full armor of God on. In fact, let's just dare say it's every day. 
because it makes it very clear. It's in verse 13. Therefore, to put on the form of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now, maybe that day of evil has already been occurring in your life. Maybe it was this morning. You got to put on the flamor of God. The first part, the, the first piece that we need to put on is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, this makes sense if you play hockey and you put on your battle gear for hockey, okay? Um, what do you put on first? What do you put on first? You put on your belt your support, your protection. Even ladies, their garter belts, okay? What you're doing is you're putting on truth. Truth upholds your emotions and your passions. Truth comes first because it is the center of battle. In fact, many battles are lost because you do not protect your emotions. The only way to protect your emotions is through truth. How many, how many times in your life, I know this has been true in my life, where I have um, not got all my facts straight, and all of a sudden I, I go into on an emotional journey. Could be anger, could be frustration, and I haven't put on the truth. And then I realize, oh, okay, I see things how they really are. I didn't understand what that person was really saying. Belt of truth, pretty important. It, it, causes, um, it causes you to avert a lot of problems in your life. In Ephesians 4.27, back in 4.27, it says, Do not give the devil a foothold. Right? Do not give the devil a foothold. What's right before that? We always got to read the context. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So, do you see that? The emotions? Belt of truth. I think it's really cool that on the belt of truth, there's also a scabbard, a, a sheath. And that's where the word of God, the sword is. And um, what's, what's really neat about that is the fact that um, when we, we, we look at all the facts of our life and we try to gather all those things, and then we always use the word of God to make sure that it lines up with these facts. So you're putting on the belt of truth and you have that sword of the spirit already attached. I'm going to come back and talk about the, 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 the word of, the, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Next, after the belt of truth is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate for a Roman soldier that Paul would have seen every day would remind him of the vital organs that needed to be protected, especially the heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones um, in his study says it this way, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness extended from the base of the neck to the upper part of the thighs so that it covered what we now call the thorax to abdomen. So pretty far, eh? Pretty far up here. And we're not able to, um, to, to, to... If we don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, then our hearts will not be, uh, will not be protected. We're told to guard our hearts. Here's the thing that we need to understand about this breastplate of righteousness. So many of us are trying to live righteously on our own strength. But the breastplate of righteousness is another reminder that righteousness comes apart, comes apart from ourselves. There's a righteousness that comes from God. Romans 3.25 says this. 
the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What happens when we um, try to live righteously on our own strength? What does the Bible say? All our righteousness is like filthy rags, right? Instead, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are saying, Christ, you've given us righteousness. So when you and I put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are both mentally and spiritually believed that God has done the work of saving us and the new heart that he has given us is being fully protected by him. I love that thought. After putting the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, we're ready to put our, our, our shoes on, get our feet ready. And what do we do next? We're supposed to put our, ready our feet with the gospel of peace. We must be ready to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. Now, this requires going on the offense. That, that was a little peculiar as I studied this passage. And I got thinking, you know what? My feet that God gave me and every one of your feet were not meant to be put up. You know, we're not, we're not meant to just sit down and take it easy, right? I'm just going to put my feet and relax, right? I've had a long day already, you know? That's not what we are called to do. We're not supposed to be sitting down. We're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be on the move. And so the gospel of peace shoes and the readiness really shows that we are meant to be a blessing to others. In Romans 10, 15, what does it say? Maybe you know this verse. The end, Paul reminds us, how beautiful are the feet of those who share or bring good news, right? However, your feet also take you to places that, in a sense, bless you. There's this cyclical thing going on. You're blessing others, and it, and it builds you up, too. I love how my friend Ian Valancourt puts it this way. When a person is active in sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they're so protected and built up spiritually. Now think about this. Why would this be one of these weapons? Why would these be a defense? Well, as soon as you start sharing the gospel, don't all of a sudden, um, you're required to have some answers? As soon as you start sharing the gospel, people start saying, but what about this? What about that? And when you start sharing your story, they're going to have a lot more questions. And what does that do for you? Doesn't that mature you and build you up? Doesn't that immediately, when you start sharing the gospel, you're like, I got to go study God's word more. I got to ask more questions. I got to seek out my Bible teachers. I got to do everything I can to get ready. So it's really cool to think that you get to engage in the battle and at the same time mature and grow spiritually. The irony is this. That God's peace, the gospel of peace, makes you ready for war. If you're not ready, can I ask, do you really have peace with God? You can have peace with God today. It can be settled in your life. Please respond to Jesus. He's talking to you. Verse 16. Next, we need to take up the shield of faith, which, will, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul had in mind the Roman legionaries' scutum, a huge wooden shield um, lined with metal. And apparently it was, uh, it was four feet in length and two and a half feet um, in width. And um, it could be used also for offense as well. And according to Marcus Barth, the shields were dipped in water... 
these wooden shields were dipped in water before battle to extinguish the cotton-tipped arrows that were set on fire by the enemy. The enemy would, would send darts across, right? And so you had to have your shield. And Satan often sends out fires into your life to take the form of trials and even tempting thoughts. And only by trusting in God and his plan for your life do these trials die down and are extinguished. I love that thought. Now, by this time you're pretty protected, but something is vitally missing. Your helmet! Now, I know that there's a lot of like guys here who are tough, and even when you think about going on the ice, you want to you play without a, without a helmet, right? But uh, I was awakened to the fact that we need to put our helmet on. Um, a week ago last Friday, one of our hockey players lost two teeth. And no, it wasn't a fight, okay? There was no fighting. There was no fighting amongst us here. Just knock, knocked in accidentally to somebody. And so I was like, whoa, that's, I only wear the visor, so what should I do? And then, and then the next day I'm in a coaching clinic on Saturday, and I, I'm, I'm coaching my son's hockey team, and I'm in a coaching clinic, and they're going over all the, the safety rules, and, and, and the instructor says, hey, guys, have you ever, have you ever, like, seen somebody on the ice lose an eye? He goes, it's just nasty. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I think that's number two. So I know I'm looking at some of you right now, and you're going to not think I'm manly, but I'm going back to the cage, okay? I'm going back to the cage, because I don't want to lose these, these pearly whites, you know? I still have all the ones that uh, God originally gave me. I'm not sleeping separate from any of them. So, so, so it's important that we put on the helmets. You can take a headshot, right? You can take a headshot. Satan gets in your mind. We talked already about the emotions in the heart, but also in our mind. Do you ever have doubts about your salvation? Do you ever have little whispers about that? Am I really saved? Because it doesn't look like it. Do I, do I ever have doubts thinking, God, where are you? You're not around. Do you really exist? Like, come on. Don't you see these trials? Can I just remind you of Paul's words? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You have to every day say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. So now that we're all covered up, we forgot about our weapons. There are two. First of all, the sword of the Spirit. I mentioned it earlier. It's the Word of God. And then the second, the second weapon is not so obvious. And I want to say that that's found in verse 18. It's called prayer. And these are the same weapons Jesus used against Satan, despite Jesus' overwhelming power, right? Here's the King of kings, Lord of lords of the universe, Almighty God on earth. And yet, what is he using to take on Satan? Right here, the word of God. In Matthew 4.11, when the devil came and attempted Jesus, Jesus used scripture, the sword of the spirit, to fight him off. My friends, we need to memorize scripture to be warriors for Jesus. We have a memorization Bible program here. We need to utilize it. As Hendrickson describes, Paul had in mind a sword that was short and swift and versatile. That is the word, what the word of God does. It divides soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You need to wield the sword of the spirit. You need to wield this in your life. 
When the devil gets close and puts those temptations in your life, can I just recommend you to, that you would memorize? Would you please memorize Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18? Can we make that just a project for this week? Do it in your groups. Do it in your families. Do it in your, with your accountability partners. You have those, right? The other weapon is prayer. I love what Dennis Redrick says. Without prayer, we are all dressed up with no place to go. We have no marching orders from God. Even Jesus used prayer to cast out demons. Mark 1, 35-39 describes how Jesus would go off to a solitary place to pray, to spend time alone with his Father. And then when he came back to minister, he would preach the gospel and drive out demons. See, prayer is so vital to our spiritual life. The Apostle Paul uses the word pray or prayer five times in verses 18 through 20. Notice it. Underline these. Highlight. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Three times in verse 18. Then verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I may fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. The truth is that we need all kinds of prayers and praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I love what, what Philip Yancey says. He says it this way. To search for the Spirit is like hunting for your eyeglasses while wearing them. The Spirit is what we perceive with rather than what we perceive. The one who opens our eyes to underlying spiritual realities. Therefore, you know those little promptings to go talk to somebody or to, to give a gift to somebody? Those are the Holy Spirit. Those are praying in the Spirit. The Spirit is talking to you. And guess what? We're supposed to, maybe, maybe you get a little prompted to pray for somebody. That is the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be doing this for all the saints. I got to tell you this. Listen up, listen up. This is really important. The most important ministry that I do and that we pastors do is the Word of God and prayer. And the most important people in my life is every, 30, every, um, every Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, I send out to 35 people, some prayer warriors, people who pray for me. And guess what? I would not be able to do any of, of this week without those prayer warriors. They're actually praying for you, that God's word would penetrate deep into your heart. My week, I guess, I... I I just, my week has been unbelievable. I think I've spoken five times this week. And um, I've just been carried along by the Spirit. God is so amazing. I love how Lenski says it this way. Think of this, of these saints who are praying for, for, for um, one another. There's one army on this side, the kingdom of light, and there's also the kingdom of darkness. And so one army stands up against another army. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. We need to pray individually. We need to sit in solitude and silence and and go before God. We need to pray in groups. We need to pray together as a church. We need to pray in our families. We need to pray, pray, pray. Not stop praying. What happens? What happens 
If a soldier gets alone, if they're cut off in a battle, they are in deep, deep trouble. You need to find a spiritual fighting unit who can pray for you, that you can pray with, that you can agree in prayer, that you can listen to the Holy Spirit, that you can get on your knees, that you can, you can um, fall prostrate before God, that you can lift holy hands in prayer, that you can bless, that you can have whole open hands just asking God to bless you and fill you with anything that you can. You need to pray. On all occasions, in all sorts of type of prayers, Please, please, I beg you, join a small group. Gather together with a bunch of friends. Become a spiritual fighting unit. If you don't have them, maybe that's one of the reasons why you're struggling so much. Back to the armor. When you're putting on this armor, you're protecting our vital areas. We find lastly that, going back to the first thing in verse 10, we must stand up. We must face forward. The picture up there, you see? The soldier was never supposed to turn around. He was never supposed to retreat. Because the armor didn't cover the back really well at all. His shield wouldn't cover him. You don't hold your your shield like this, right? We are the victors. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We are on the offense. We are to go forward. We are to to have victory in Christ against the injustices of this world, against those who've been lost to sin. We are called to go forward by God's mighty strength and through his power. Yes, facing the devil and his minions may still mean that you're going to have some pain. The Apostle Paul faced this, right? A messenger of Satan was sent to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A thorn in the flesh. Yes, you're still going to have problems. But as Paul believed and experienced, and we do too, sin can never destroy us. So are you putting on the full armor of God? The problem is you won't. You won't. Because you tend to think the solutions of your problems are always found by other means. I only say that because it's been my experience. I've known about the armor of God since I was a little boy. Like, this is a pretty cool thing when you're a little boy looking at this armor, isn't it? You want to check this out? You're like, okay, I want that sword of the Spirit. Give me that. But I haven't utilized it. You're thinking that you're really still wrestling against flesh and blood that difficult person in your life. You will doubt the truth. You'll live by your emotions. You'll still start to trust in your own self-righteousness, thinking, I got to do it. I got to try harder. Yes, I got Jesus, but I got to try harder. And your heart won't be guarded anymore. You'll lower your shield of faith, and you'll start living by sight. You'll take your helmet off and are seduced in your mind by the philosophies, philosophies of this world. You'll sit down on the job, take a break from the battle, Why do I say all this? Not because I'm hard on you, because that's been my experience, and I'm guessing it's probably been yours too. But I want to tell you, there's one who never sat down on the job. 
He actually got up from his throne and stood and faced his arch enemy. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings. His victory is our victory. May I suggest to you that the only way to put on the full armor of God is to think about Christ. You are really thinking about Jesus and his cross every time you put on the full armor of God. You are standing just as Jesus stood on the cross. Think about that. Stand firm in Christ. Jesus stood for you. Every time you need to think about the belt of truth, think about that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You're saying that Christ and he alone is your righteousness. You are ready with the gospel of peace because Christ is your peace. You might be scared to share the gospel, but if Christ has settled it, if really no weapon against you that is formed shall prosper, that your peace has already been given and has secured Christ in the heavenlies, you will put on the gospel shoes. And when you put up the field of faith, the field of the shield of faith, you're trusting in Jesus, who is your shield, and will help you overcome those fiery trials. I, I just did a quick study of how many times God is mentioned as our shield. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let me just read them to you. John, Genesis fifteen one, Psalm seven, um, verse ten, eighteen, verse two. Uh, verse 30, uh, chapter 28, verse 7 of Psalms, Psalm 33, 20, Psalm 84, 11, Psalm 115, 9 through 11, Psalm 144, 2. All of those describe that God is our shield and our rampart. He is our shield. Will he be your shield? Absolutely. Will he take the fiery darts? He already did. He was punctured on the cross. But he squashed death's sting. Jesus, Jesus is your shield of faith. He's also your sword of the spirit because he is the word of God, John 1, 1. He is also your weapon when you pray because he was continually interceding, interceding for you on behalf of the Father day and night. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I love this. I have Jesus, you have Jesus who's interceding for you forever and ever up there in heaven in those divine council rooms. So that the forces cannot defeat him. He's our advocate. But guess what? We also have somebody who's interceding for us on earth. The Holy Spirit who is inside us. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 through 27. Praise God. He, he is praying on our behalf. This Remembrance Day when we are grateful for those who died for us. We also need to include the one ultimately, who died for us. Who finally gave us peace between us and God and allows us to live in peace with one another. This Remembrance Day, we need to return to war. (laughs) Return to war with God so that we're not at war with each other. I challenge you to turn to Jesus who will fight for you. Let him lead you into battle against evil. Don't forget him. And what better way to remember him than having communion? This is for all those who are spiritual warriors, who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who went on their behalf and died for them. So if you have trusted in Jesus, if he died for your sins and you believe that, you can can partake today. 
And then you can go forward and you can eat and drink and sustenance knowing that he's feeding you for God's battle. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, thank you for giving us um, weapons, giving us an ability to, um, to fight against evil. Thank you that our victory is sure. We just need to utilize the resources you've given to us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.